This week on Blue 58, with one preseason game in the books and another on the horizon, two position groups are facing the biggest questions. We'll explore wide receiver and the offensive line in depth before taking questions on Cole Madison, Quentin Rollins, the backup running back situation, and the state of quarterback play throughout the NFL. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. I'm very excited to be with you this week, even maybe more so than other weeks, because, well, I'll tell you a little bit later towards the end of the show, but exciting stuff happening for this week that could bring some of us into, uh, I guess, face-to-face, not confrontation, company. Let's say that. Uh, I would like to spend a little time talking about uh, two big position groups This week. And I think coming out of the first preseason game, wide receiver and offensive line were the two areas that raised the most questions for different reasons. Uh, Wide receiver raised a lot of questions about, you know, who can the Packers keep? Who can they maybe expose to waivers and hope to bring back at the practice squad? The offensive line was a little bit different. Seemingly, we've been facing this question year in, year out for a couple of years, but after that first preseason game, you had to wonder what the Packers would do for depth and tackle should something happen to David Bakhtiari or Brian Bulaga long-term. So with that kind of introduction or so, whatever you want to call that, let's dive right in. I want to talk about wide receivers first because I think it's better to get off on a, a bit of a positive foot here. So let's talk wide receivers. There are a lot of things to like about the Packers receiving group that I think feel a little bit new. And we have to throw the caveat out there that all of these things about the receiving group could be a mirage, right? Because one preseason game isn't a lot to go on in terms of, you know, what can you actually take away from this group? Could it be just bad that the, that the Titans defense is so bad that everybody's getting open? Um, but I think that may not entirely be the case. I think the Packers do have some promising prospects the further down the depth chart they get and some reasons to believe about uh, that the guys at the top of the roster are in good shape and uh, maybe even better shape than we would have anticipated. Um, But a few different categories of receivers here. Uh, We don't really need to talk about Devontae Adams and Randall Cobb. I'd like to jump straight to number three on the depth chart right now, Geronimo Allison. Uh, He had a very strong, I thought, first preseason game. And I think you saw some of the reasons that the Packers were not perhaps as ready to move on from him as perhaps some of us in the media, the blogging community, the Packers community would have been. Uh, I was, I have long been on the Des Bryant train, or at least a better option than Geronimo Allison train. And um, by and large, I'd stay, I would say I still pretty much agree with that. I think that you can do better for your third receiver, wherever he's lining up, slot, outside, wherever, than Geronimo Allison. But I think in the first preseason game, you saw a lot of the things that Geronimo Allison does well. And he's sort of laying the template more than anything else for a guy like Jake Kumaro because they do a lot of similar things. Both of them get open with more guile than speed, Allison is great at finding soft spots in defenses and sort of wriggling his way free of coverage. 
He has excellent hands, and I think that's been an interesting thing to watch with him. He catches the ball so well, and he catches it away from his body. In fact, things look so good with Allison. I had one reader or listener or whatever you want to say ask me on Facebook, could he be a trade option considering how some of the guys have come on behind him? With all of the good things being said about Allison, taken into consideration. I I don't think he is a good trade option for the Packers or for any other team in the league. Here's why. There are guys that will be on your team after a year or two years, or in Allison's case now three, that become worth more to you than to any other team. I think guys like Allison with his skill set are fairly replaceable. You can find a guy who can run a mid-fives, 40-yard dash, middling overall athleticism, but with decent hands, probably pretty easily. Maybe not somebody who can execute the way that Allison does or has, but at least from an athletic standpoint, he's fairly replaceable. What sets him apart for the Packers is just the familiarity there. He's trustworthy. The Packers know what they have. He's a known quantity. He you know he can execute the things that you have in your playbook because he's done it for a couple of years now. He becomes worth more to you just because of those factors. If you were just looking to trade him, what do you get for a guy like Geronimo Allison? A sixth-round pick? A seventh-round pick? Maybe? I don't know. Uh, I don't think you're going to do much better than that unless he really blows up at the start of the season. But you just don't need to invest that many resources if you're looking to go out and get a guy like him because he's just not that outstanding of an athlete. So he becomes more worth more to the Packers than he might just be on the open market for that reason. If the Packers cut him outright, I have no doubt that he'd get picked up because other teams have seen that he is a proven contributor makes it sound maybe a little bit more than it is because he hasn't been you know outstanding. But he's, again, a, a relatively known commodity. Teams have seen what he can do. He would probably end up on another roster. The exact flip side of that not from a trade perspective, but from knowing what he can do, that standpoint is Trevor Davis, another veteran receiver who looked to be in a sort of put-up-or-shut-up situation heading into this camp, and he has not put up anything at all. I think Trevor Davis is in serious trouble here because of what's coming on with these rookie receivers and even a guy like Jake Kumaro. Davis is undeniably a phenomenal athlete. He can run like anybody's business, nobody's business, however that expression goes. He can run like crazy. He's very fast. Nobody has ever denied that. And we saw his speed at times last year. That punt return, uh, that field-flipping punt return against Cleveland was huge. And he, he is a great option in those situations, but he hasn't done a lot of other things as an actual wide receiver. This was the preseason when he had to do that, and he hasn't done that so far, and he's on the verge of missing his second game here in this preseason. I don't know if there's a situation where you can really come back at this point if you're Trevor Davis and make the team. Think about the amount of work that he would have to do and and the amount of distance he has to make up to catch up to this race just from a you know getting reps standpoint to make up ground on these rookie receivers and on Jake Kumaro. Would you feel like if it was your roster tomorrow, would you even consider 
putting Trevor Davis on it ahead of any of the three rookies or Jake Kumaro? Of course you wouldn't, just because you haven't seen anything from Trevor Davis and you have seen things from these other guys. He's barely practiced. Trevor Davis is in trouble. And uh, for a guy that we had pegged as having high expectations coming into the season, it's, it's a bit of a rough time. Let's talk rookies. I think if you rank the rookies right now, this is I would go Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinomia St. Brown, and then Jamon Moore in that order after one preseason game. And I do emphasize that one preseason game because it is just one preseason game. If a couple things had gone differently for Jamon Moore, you'd probably be a lot, a lot higher on that list because quarterbacks were looking for him a lot. He got a lot of targets in the game. He just was unable to complete the process on, seemed like, just about all of those catches. But I think there is a lot to like about what he did. However, it is an execution game. Uh, you can't make the roster because you almost caught a whole bunch of passes. That puts you in a bit of a tough situation if you're Jamon Moore. The other issue is, as much as he improved his testing numbers going from the combine to his pro day, even though his agility numbers weren't that bad at the combine, he improved his 40-yard dash time at his pro day. Out of these three, he is still, saying least athletic makes it sound worse than it is, but he has the least impressive numbers out of these three guys. A distant, distant third to MVS and, a you know, not quite as competitive with Equinemius St. Brown. So I think just almost by default, he ends up being the third of those three if he's not executing. And when it comes to execution, the other two guys have just done a lot better than he has. So I'm interested to see how Moore plays here in his second preseason game. Uh, There was an interesting nugget from Tom Silverstein about how he was, not Silverstein, about how Moore was refusing to talk to reporters after the first preseason game. It seemed like he was pretty bummed out. The PR staffer said, hey, it might be in your best interest to you know, talk to these people, even if you didn't have that great of a game, because uh, that's just kind of how you do things as a professional. He later talked with the media. I think that that's interesting, and it, it could speak to an opportunity or maybe a, a requirement for him to get a little bit more seasoning before he's ready to be a contributor. So if you're trying to sneak one of these three guys through to the practice squad, it might be Jamon Moore, especially because he starts to have a skill set that's getting a little bit on the redundant side with Geronimo Allison and da 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 Jake Kumaro. We have to talk about Jake Kumaro. What do we think of Jake Kumaro? I have to admit I'm still not entirely sure what to think about this entire Kumaro situation. Undeniably, he was impressive in the first preseason game. Uh, He looks like he knows how to get open. He runs phenomenal routes. I think if you look at the way that he uses his hands to redirect defenders and create small amounts of space, that is very impressive. Um, But there's a big but with Jake Kumaro, pun double entendre not intended. Age is a big deal here. He's 26 years old already, 10 months older than Devontae Adams which says a lot about Kumaro, but also a lot about Devontae Adams as well. Don't want to dive into that, but having him be, you know, almost a full year younger than Jake Kumaro is pretty cool, and having him be the number one receiver for the Packers. What I wonder about with Kumaro is how close to his ceiling could he be? If you're keeping guys that are going to be your fifth or sixth wide receiver, even your fourth wide receiver, you're probably looking for some developmental capability there. 
what sort of room for growth does a 26-year-old Jake Kummerow have? Is he pretty much already the player he's going to become? That concerns me a whole lot more than his testing numbers or the fact that he's bounced around a bunch of practice squads and hasn't caught on anywhere. Uh, what sort of developmental prospects do you have there? If he's already an all-world talent at 26, you don't have to worry about that. But he clearly hasn't been, otherwise he wouldn't have bounced around a bunch of training camps already. So the question of reaching his full potential and how close he is to that becomes a fly in the ointment, I think, for the Jake Kumaro situation. Especially because... Just to keep him at all, you probably are going to have to put him on the 53-man roster to begin with, which gets into a whole bunch of other conversations about where these other guys shake out and how you start building your roster. I don't know if I can put too fine a point on it and, and give you a roster prediction at this point, but I will say that I'm glad I don't have to be the one to make that decision. Things have changed so much since we did our weeks ago that I don't even want to go back and revisit that because it's just dramatically, dramatically different. We know so much more now than we did then. But it is a much more competitive receiver race than I thought it was going to be. I thought there was going to be receivers one and two, Adams and Cobb, then a drop, then Allison, then a significant drop, then the three rookies, and then a bigger drop, and then everybody else. It really hasn't been that way at all. It's been pretty much Adams, Cobb, Allison all together, although Adams has significantly outpaced the other two. And then a gap, and then pretty much everyone else all together. They've all had their moments, and they've all shown that they can at least play at some level in the NFL. So interesting to see how this shakes out. I'm glad I don't have to make the call here. One more thing I wanted to bring up with wide receivers before we move on to the offensive line is just talking about expectations in general for wide receivers. I was trying to think of a player who sort of represented a baseline. What should you expect from a guy who just comes in and is a new addition to the roster? I think the absolute highest ceiling is a guy like Jarrett Boykin. Do you remember Jarrett Boykin five years ago in 2013? He had the most unexpected out-of-nowhere season, I think, that I can remember in recent Packers history. That year, he had 49 catches for 683 yards and three touchdowns. In the rest of his NFL career, the year prior and the year after that, he had a total of eight catches. So eight of his 50, or 49 of his 57 career NFL catches came all in this one season, just out of nowhere. I don't think anybody really predicted this for Jarrett Boykin. I think that's about the absolute ceiling that you can expect for a wide receiver, you know, number three in that number three ballpark. You would expect a number one receiver or a number two receiver to be significantly better than Jarrett Boykin. You expect your number three guy to be about there. And anything below that is probably a number four, number five guy. You really aren't expecting those guys to get up near the Jarrett Boykin sort of range. What does that say about current Packers receivers? Well, Devontae Adams is safe. Uh, He has easily met the Jarrett Boykin standard the past couple of years. There's no reason to assume that barring injury, he won't. Randall Cobb gets a little bit interesting because though he has surpassed Boykin in receptions and touchdowns each of the past two years, he has not reached 683 yards in either of the last two seasons, some due to injuries, some due to injuries to others. Uh, The Aaron Rodgers situation comes to mind there. So 
maybe the Packers could do a little bit better at that number two spot. I think that I would, I don't think that's unfair to say. I think even Randall Cobb would say he would expect to be a little bit more productive than that. Number three hasn't even been close there. Geronimo Allison hasn't gotten anywhere close to being a Jarrett Boykin level contributor, which is really weird to say. It seems like he should be significantly better than Jarrett Boykin, but looking back at the numbers, he really isn't. Beyond that, I think we need to temper expectations for rookies, yes, Kumaro included. I'm kind of including him as a rookie because he, for all intents and purposes, he really is. He hasn't made it a a significant impact for anyone in the regular season so far. I guess the, the bottom line for this is beyond number two, and even number two, uh, with Randall Cobb in a couple of aspects. We need to keep this in mind, keep our expectations sort of leveled for these guys, understand what a a decent season for a guy who isn't a significant contributor actually is, and evaluate them accordingly. That's all I'm trying to say, I guess. Offensive line. It was not pretty on Thursday, and I don't have a lot of in-depth stuff to say here because it it gets really difficult to evaluate offensive line in a super substantive way. But I did want to touch on a few players here. Um, Tackle was not a pretty sight on Thursday night for a few reasons. Kyle Murphy was just bad because I think he just had an off night. I think he's more of a right tackle than a left tackle. I think he may even be a little bit more guard than tackle. I just, I, I worry about him playing in space a little bit there. Byron Bell, though, I have no questions about, because I know pretty much beyond a shadow of a doubt after Thursday night that he has to play at guard. If you're in a situation where you're going to be playing Byron Bell at tackle for a significant amount of time, you're going to be in trouble. That dates back to the things that he did with Dallas most recently. That goes back to our initial comments about Byron Bell. I think he's got to be a guard for the Packers. Otherwise, things are going to be a bit of a, a problem if they have to turn to either of these guys as backup depth. However, The biggest question is, and I guess has been, what is the deal with Jason Spriggs? It's year three now. He should really be coming on. And he has taken a lot of first-team reps when they've been available in this Brian Bulaga sort of limbo situation. But he really didn't get a whole lot of quality looks last Thursday night. He said he was benched for reasons that he didn't really understand. Mike McCarthy said something came up but wouldn't elaborate. What's going on? We don't really know. What we do know is the Packers traded up to get Jason Spriggs three years ago, and he hasn't done a whole lot since then. It's time for him to figure it out and give the Packers a little peace of mind behind David Bakhtiari and Brian Bulaga because I can't really imagine that they have a whole lot of peace of mind there right now. Who would you really feel confident out of that threesome? Murphy, Bell, and Spriggs putting out there if one of those two guys goes down. I I wouldn't feel confident putting any of those guys down. It really changes what you have to do up front, especially on the right side where you're putting one of them next to Justin McRae, who's a bit of an adventure on his own sometimes. Speaking of Justin McRae, are we really sure that he's the answer at right guard? It seems for all intents and purposes like he's going to win the right guard job, which is fine if you are a Justin McRae believer. As much as I like his story, I would consider myself still a little bit of a Justin McRae skeptic. Uh, I think he showed some of his limitations last year, though he did play admirably throughout the entire season. He's not an athletic guy for an an NFL athlete. Um, He's he's not 
He doesn't have any appreciable length uh, at tackle, which is less an issue at guard. He's just not super technically sound either. He's more more of that mauler type that you look for on the offensive line. He gets it done through brute strength and aggression, which is fine, but it's going to look pretty ugly sometimes. And I, I'm not convinced that if they had their preference, the Packers wouldn't hope to go in a different direction. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of other options right now. Maybe a situation to watch here. I hope Justin McRae proves me wrong. One last note on the offensive line. Uh, I did note, and I do want to point out again, that Dylan Day was the first center off the bench last Thursday night. It'll be interesting to see if he repeats that performance because I got to think that makes him a pretty strong contender to win a job with the Packers coming out of training camp this year. Backup center has been a question mark for the Packers for a couple seasons now. And... It figures to be again this year if they don't keep a guy with actual center experience on the roster. Day does have center experience. He's primarily a center, though he did line up a little bit at guard this past week. It would be encouraging, for my peace of mind at least, if he continued to do so as we head out into the actual regular season. A couple quick observations, then I got one reader question I want to get to, and then we'll call it a day. Khalil Mack. feel like we got to do a Khalil Mack update here, a Khalil Mack assessment. Um, pump the brakes on this a little bit. Lower the throttle. Rail it, rein it in a little bit. There are people out there, a number of different outlets who are really stoking this story. There is, I, I would like to slow down on it until we have some or any evidence that this is a thing that could even theoretically happen. Um, there's been really no indication from anyone within the Raiders organization that they would be willing to trade Khalil Mack. And why would they? Why would you want to trade him if you don't have to? I, th- I think that should be pretty obvious. However, there are people who are willing to stoke this rumor about him leaving. Uh, if we're going to name names, there's a couple gambling outfits that have the Packers as the leading favorite. I guess there's only one. That's the only kind of favorite there is, a leading favorite. The favorite to land Mac if he becomes available for trade. But then there's Pro Football Focus, specifically Michael David Smith, who writes, as Khalil Mack continues his lengthy holdout, there's increasing talk that the Raiders could trade him. Increasing talk from who? Because as far as I know, the only people who are increasing the talk about Khalil Mack being traded are sites like Pro Football Talk or is stoking that rumor. Where else have you seen that from a reputable source? I I hesitate to see that. And I, I just want to throw this out there because... I see a lot of people on Packers Twitter who seem to treat this as a done deal. Um, It's not even a really hypothetical deal, not a deal that's being discussed as far as we know at this point. So maybe hold off on that just a little bit. Let's wait and see what really happens. And what's probably really going to happen is nothing. That Khalil Mack will agree to an extension with the Raiders and that'll be it. Cole Madison. Let's talk Cole Madison for a second. Uh, Brian Gutekunst had the smallest of updates on Cole Madison so far, so this is a story we're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, I I would dispute the fact or dispute anybody who or have a dispute with anyone who says this wasn't really an update because it was an update. Uh, We did get a little bit of new information here, and that information is that Cole Madison intends to continue his football career, um, which is encouraging news both for Madison and for the Packers. 
it puts to rest some speculation, I think, about what this situation could be, though I'm still not prepared to address theoretical rumors there, though I have hinted that I, I think I have an idea what's going on here. We'll wait and see if that's correct. I just want to wait and see until all the information comes out, and then we'll we'll talk about that for sure. I do think it puts some of the, the rumors, and you probably could guess what they are if you've been around the internet any amount of time. I think it puts a little bit of that to bed. This seems like it may be a, I don't know what kind of situation it is, but we'll see. And it, it's it's going to be interesting to figure out what that possibly could be. Uh, we got to talk about Quentin Rollins because he got an unexpected an unexpectedly large, I think, amount of playing time last Thursday. This is something that I think you see from coaches a lot when they're sort of at their last straw with a guy. They start saying, well, let's see what else he can do. Maybe one of these other things will stick. That's where we are in the Quentin Rollins experience. He hasn't shown that he can do it as an outside corner, hasn't shown that he can get it done as a slot corner. He's coming off an Achilles tendon injury. It seems like the Packers are just saying, let's throw him at safety. Let's have him return a few punts and we'll see how that goes. Well, it didn't go great. Um, He was part of the touchdown that the Packers gave up on the opening drive last Thursday, and uh, I think his punt returns left much much to be desired, uh, fumbling his first opportunity there. He's gotten a lot of opportunities to return punts over his brief Packers career, at least in practice. This is the first time I can recall seeing him do it in an actual game. I can see why now the Packers were maybe a little bit hesitant to give him that opportunity. But I think uh, we are approaching the end of the Quentin Rollins story here, so uh, I don't think you will have to worry about him returning punts in the regular season. Backup running backs. Anybody see any reason that we should be excited about any of these guys? Because I certainly didn't. Um, Joel Boagno was the first guy off the bench. He showed some good patience on a couple of runs. Uh, But other than that, there's not a lot to recommend him by. Um, He's not a... Typical or terribly fast guy, um, not super explosive, very smooth it looked like, but uh, nothing that really was like, yes, I want to see more about that guy. Uh, similar with Akeem Judd, I thought he ran pretty aggressively. It seems like he has pretty decent acceleration, especially for a guy who weighs almost 230 pounds. But again, he, he was doing it against the deepest of deep backups, and I don't see any reason to think that this is uh, some sort of harbinger of hidden talent that has somehow just not surfaced so far. Then Devontae Mays. I don't recall even seeing him out there. It may have happened, but um, I think it's looking more and more like the Packers may be less interested in in keeping Mays around than they were about this point last year. Finally, we have a good question from a listener on Facebook. David asks, and he asked this back on August 2nd, and I haven't gotten to it now, Uh, sent me a Facebook message, and I have been very slow to respond. Uh, Sorry about that, David, but I'm trying to get to that question now. Um, Back on a podcast three or four episodes ago, David points out that I, quote, stated that the league faces a lack of quality at quarterback, and I don't know if that is a fair characterization. I think we hold quarterbacks to an insanely high standard because we have greats like Aaron, Brady, etc., that we're spoiled by. I have frequently heard McCarthy chastise the media for saying players aren't NFL quality, and I've taken that to heart. These quarterbacks aren't as good as Aaron or Brady or even the likes of Ryan Tannehill or Andy Dalton. Backup quarterbacks are great at what they do in comparison and do it much better than some random guy off the street. 
Brett Hundley isn't going to ever be as good as Aaron or Brady or probably even Dalton or Glennon. However, I don't think it's fair to say they lack talent. They just aren't as good as the greats, but still better athletes and better at what they do than you or I could do, end quote. So good good observation there, David. Um, and I think I may have just spoken ineloquently about that issue there because I, I think you rightly point out that these guys are obviously great talent and they are in the top well, obviously, what, 2-3% of all quarterbacks on the face of the earth. Even if you're not a starting quali- or starting caliber NFL quarterback, you are one of the best quarterbacks on the planet at any given time just by virtue of the fact that you're on an NFL roster. So if that's how things came across, I don't I, I want to put that to rest. I, I don't believe that. However, I think this is more a commentary, and from my perspective, it's a commentary on the state of quarterback execution more than the level of quarterback talent. I think if you look at the quarterbacks coming into the league, the amount of quarterbacks who come into the league who aren't prepared or able to execute an NFL-level offense is concerning. Um, I don't think you have to look any further than a guy like Christian Hackenberg. This guy was a second-round pick. He hasn't played a snap in the regular season, and he's on his, what is he, his third NFL team already? Uh, he was with the Jets. He got traded to the Raiders. They didn't even like what they saw in the limited time he was there. And now he's on to the Philadelphia Eagles already. Just can't hack it as an NFL quarterback for whatever reason. But I don't think that's a talent issue. I think that's a skill issue. I think there's a difference between skills and talents. Talents to me is the amount of inherent ability you have, either you know through your your given your your genetic skills, the 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 physical makeup that you have plus your, uh, the work that you've put in to get the most out of those athletic gifts. The skills that you have are your ability to do the tasks required by your chosen profession, in this case, being an NFL quarterback. I don't think there, is, there are currently enough quarterbacks in the NFL who have the skill to do what's required of them. I, I just think that how often you see teams lose their starting quarterback and fall off the face of the earth is evidence of that. They just can't continue to be 95% of the offense that they were before the injury. Um, And it just doesn't seem like there should be that big of a gap between a starter and the backup. Obviously, you have the transcendent guys like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and so on, but it doesn't seem like there should be as big of a drop-off just around the league. To me, that shows the value of coaching because I think coaches need to do a better job around the league of adapting what they do to what their players can do, especially at the quarterback position. You can't just go out and ask every quarterback to run the classic NFL-style pro offense, you know, the drop-back passing, five, seven-step drops, hit the out route, hit the deep post, things like that. I think you've got to adapt your offense to the skills that your players have. And I think if you look at the Los Angeles Rams, they're a great example of that. Jared Goff as a rookie did not do a good job with a very traditional NFL offense. But when you bring in Sean McVay, who tailors the offense to what he does do well, suddenly he's one of the most promising young passers in the league. Think back a little bit further to Robert Griffin III. He was not a traditional NFL-style quarterback, and if he had been asked to execute just that typical traditional drop back passing offense, things wouldn't have gone well. But Kyle Shanahan and his dad, Mike, you know, put together a custom built offense for him. And look at that. He goes out and has a great rookie season. I think the lack of high level quarterback play, the lack of quarterback skill from 
number one guy to number two guy may be as big or a bigger even indictment of coaching as it is on anything else. So I don't know. Well, I don't know if David, if you really asked a question there or just responding to something that I said, I don't know if I really answered your response, but those are my thoughts there. And hopefully that clarifies a little bit more what I was trying to say. While I've got you here, need to give you an update about uh, the Power Sweep travel plans. My wife and I are going to be at the preseason game in Lambeau Field on Thursday night. So if you happen to see a very tall individual wearing a gray Power Sweep t-shirt accompanied by a rather short brunette woman, that's us. Uh, stop by and say hello if you happen to see us. We'd love to, to chat with you about the Power Sweep a little bit or about just the Packers or about what you're doing after the game or about where your seats are or whatever you want to talk about. Um, probably not politics, though. I uh, don't want to talk about politics at the, at, the, at the game. But we are excited to be there. I'm excited to be there because I'm going back to my home state of Wisconsin and I get to take my wife to her first ever Packers game. It's going to be an exciting time. So if you happen to see us, don't be shy. Don't be shy say hello. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, You can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com on Facebook and on Twitter or by email by uh, reaching out at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. If you want to support us, the freest and easiest and cheapest way to do that is leaving a review on iTunes. But if you would like to support us financially, patreon.com slash thepowersweep is a great place to do just that. If you want to look good while you support us financially, check out our store on Teespring. Click the store link at the powersweep.com. It'll take you right there. We do love to hear from you. Obviously, any any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better, and it gives us good things to talk about. So if there's something that you want to bring up that we haven't talked about before, don't be shy. Drop us an email or a Facebook message or whatever. Let us know your thoughts. Any feedback you give us helps us all become better Packers fans, smarter Packers fans, and as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. I'm John Meerdink. We will see you back here next week on Blue 58.